So this morning, I won't be in John either. Um, and as we're going into the new year, I wanted to just talk a little bit about that, kind of about our, our church body going into the new year. As most of you guys know, I am new to being the pastor here at Calvary Chapel Edmonds. My wife and I have been here for about three years, and um, I've been the lead pastor for about a quarter of a year, and uh, so not very long. Um, but I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about sort of my vision for the church as we go into this new year, kind of lay out my, my heart for the church. Pastor Scott laid such a, such a great foundation for us here at Calvary Chapel East. I always want to say Calvary Chapel Eastside because it's CCE, the same uh, initials as my old church. Uh, Calvary Chapel Edmonds. You know, for years and years, decades of, of, of solid Bible teaching. And it's, he was such a, um, such a great example for us in, in humility and in servanthood. And he laid just this deep foundation of, of discipleship and, and missions and, and serving the community. And in the coming years and decades, I want to continue to, to build on that heritage and that foundation that our pastor left for us. And as a church, the accurate and faithful Bible teaching will always be our, our, our top priority. I mean, that's really our, our heritage as a Calvary Chapel, right? Teaching through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we may do series occasionally like we did in the fall, but on the whole, we teach the Bible. That, that's what we do at, at Calvary Chapel. And we believe that the Bible is living and it's powerful and it's able to transform lost men. We believe that it's divinely inspired and that it's infallible. And we believe that, that faithful Bible study, coupled with worship and prayer and fellowship, that it's a powerful thing in the lives of the believer. And together, as we seek the Lord through prayer and worship and careful Bible study, and as we seek to be led as individuals and as a body through the strength and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, as we continue to grow in our maturity in the Lord, I think that great things are going to happen. And I want to see our maturity manifest itself into ministry. I want to see as we grow in the Lord that we begin to expand and, and we begin to serve the Lord in new ways. I want to see personal ministries develop. I want to see ministries within the church begin to expand. And there's three areas that I was really thinking about that I want to see the church expand in. And um, one area, I think, is, is local outreach. You know, our church has always been involved in local outreach. We do stuff at Chase Lake. We do stuff with, with you know, nourishing networks. We're, we're involved in a lot of different things. But I think that it's an area that we could probably do a little bit better in. I think that we could reach our community a little more effectively. And I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like, but I believe that the Lord is calling us to a new season of outreach and evangelism. We live in such an amazingly diverse community, don't we? It's economically diverse, right? You go this way a little bit, and it's a very wealthy community, a lot of middle-class people. You go that way a little bit, and there's a lot of 
housing, you know, apartment complexes, and, and it's just a wide spectrum economically. It's, it's culturally very diverse as well. I've shared this before, but my kids go to Chase Lake Elementary, and, and they told us that there are 26 or 27 different languages spoken at Chase Lake Elementary. That's amazing to me. But one thing that's always bothered me a little bit is how we see in Scripture, your church is, it is so diverse, isn't it? Within the New Testament, it seems like the church, it would go into cultures, it would go into areas, and it would, it would break down race, it would break down cultural barriers. We see the Jews and the Gentiles worshiping together. We see different creeds and different cultures, different ethnicities, all coming together as the body of Christ. Paul talks about that. Remember, he says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. He talks about how we're, we're all one in Christ. And we see such a beautiful unity in the New Testament. And I think that the church today has largely failed in that regard. And I don't mean our church, but we're part of it. But the church on the whole has failed in this regard. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you only speak Swahili, it's a good idea to go to a Swahili-speaking church, right? So you can receive, so you can be taught. It makes sense to, to go to a church that speaks your native language. But I think sometimes we as believers, we tend to put up artificial boundaries, artificial barriers within the church. I mean, it, it, it's sad to me that there are black churches and there are white churches and there are Latino churches, and there are Asian churches that all teach in English. It's been said, and rightly so, I think, that Sunday mornings are the most segregated time in America. And, and it's my goal, it's my intention, as we move into the future, to see our church, our church staff, and our church body become more diverse. You know why? To get us ready for heaven, Right? I want to see Asians and Africans and Hispanics and Pacific Islanders and Arabs and Indians and Irish and Russians and, you know, the whole spectrum. And why is that? Because that's the heart of God, right? That's who he died to save. He didn't die to save white middle-class America. He didn't die to save sub-Sahara Africa. He didn't die to save Northern Europe or South America. He died to save the world. And that, friends, is who we're called to minister to. Plus, imagine the potlucks. It'd be amazing. You know, and we talk about missions a lot. We talk about the Great Commission. We talk about Matthew 28. We talk about Acts chapter 1. Reaching the uttermost parts of the earth for the gospel. You know what? The uttermost parts of the earth have come to us, haven't they? They could drive down 99. Right, look at the, the wide spectrum of restaurants that are out there. We live in an amazingly diverse area. Go shopping in Winco or Ranch 99 and just observe the people. It's amazing how many cultures and, and languages there are all around us. And we can make an impact on the world right here and right now. We can make disciples here who can take the gospel to their families and their friends back home. And you know what? 
there are a lot of passports in our community for countries where white Americans have a very hard time accessing. But they have freedom to enter and to minister in ways that we never could. And as we become more diverse as a church body, we'll be so much richer for it. As our church begins more and more to reflect the community around us, we'll begin to reflect heaven more and more. And so the first thing that I mentioned is we want to focus on the community. But that doesn't mean that we take our focus off mission. I want to see our church continue to make a global impact. And that can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. First, prayer and financial support for existing ministries and missionaries. You know, we as a church, we support a lot of different missionaries all over the world, from Papua New Guinea to Peru. You know, we have a whole bunch of missionaries out there on the map outside. And you know, every one of them, every single missionary on that board would be so blessed if you just emailed them and said, hey, I've been praying for you guys. Well, actually pray for them too. Don't just tell them you're praying for them. But pray for them. Say, hey, you know, we've been praying for you. Is there any specific things that we can pray for? And, you know, I remember when I was on the mission field and I would get random emails like that, and it was such an encouragement to me. It would remind me that, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in this. And it seemed so often, it was like at the lowest points, we get to this point where, what are we even doing here? We don't have any financial support. Nobody likes us. Ministry isn't going anywhere. I'm, I, it's too hot. And, on. and all of a sudden, we get an email. And somebody say, you know, look, we're praying for you. And, and the Lord would use that. He said, look, you're part of the team here. I have you. So I encourage you guys to get involved in missions that way. Communicate with missionaries. Talk with them. Pray with them. Support them financially. The second way you can get involved with missions is go on a mission trip. Right? We've been going on at least one mission trip a year. And, and, and there's no reason why we can't do more as the Lord leads. We've been going to Belize the last few years for obvious reasons. Right? My heart is in Belize after serving there for 14 years. But I am more than willing to, to pray about going to other places. Going to support and serve in other ministries as the Lord leads. But I want us to continue to be a church that's involved in missions. So if you feel like you have some place on your heart, put together a plan. Come talk to me about it. If there's somewhere that you really feel like the Lord is leading you to minister, let's pray about it together and see what the Lord wants to do. And lastly, it may be that some of you are called to long-term missions. Maybe you're retired and wondering what the Lord wants you to do with the rest of your life. Here you go. Go be a missionary. Maybe you are, some of you are young and wondering what the Lord wants you to do for the rest of your life. Man, before you get tied down with a career and a mortgage and seven kids, spend some time serving the Lord abroad. And I can't think of a better way to spend your life than serving the Lord in missions. Such a blessing. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. He says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love that verse. And maybe the Lord's calling you somewhere. Maybe he's calling you to Azerbaijan or Bosnia or Colombia or Djibouti or Egypt or 
what starts with F? Finland or Greenland or, or wherever it is. I don't know where the Lord's calling you specifically, but I know that each one of us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are called to be involved in missions one way or another. Right? Jesus talked about that very plainly. And one last area that I kind of want to really focus on this year is children's ministry and youth ministry. At least since I've been here at this church, and probably much longer than that, you know, we've been praying for the, for the youth ministry and the children's ministry, that the Lord would begin to expand that. And it's been exciting to see the Lord beginning to answer those prayers. Children's ministry has been growing over the last year. I think there were 18 or 20 kids last Sunday, and that's, that's amazing for us. And so we pray that the Lord will continue to expand that ministry. We've been making investments in, in developing the children's ministry and curriculum and the facilities, investing in the kids we have, laying, laying a foundation for what the Lord's going to do next. And I'm very excited to, to watch as the Lord unfolds this plan, looking forward to seeing what he's going to do. And so not only do I want to see our church diversify culturally, but age-wise too. Right? Our church is definitely an older church, and, and that's wonderful, right? Stability and, and maturity are, are a very good thing. My last church that I pastored was very young, right? There was a point when we had, for a couple of years, that we had like 50 kids coming to youth group, and our youth group service was, was way bigger than our Sunday morning service for a while. You know, the youth group was the church, and, and, and there was excitement, and there was passion, and there was so much drama and fistfights in the church van. And, and that was the girls. And, and I'm not even joking. <laughs> right? And, and, you know, the church needs an older population as well with wisdom and maturity and, and that wealth of experience that so many possess. The church also needs a younger population for the older generation to invest in and to pour into. So I don't want to pastor an old church. And I don't want to pastor a young church. I want a well-rounded, diverse church that's serving the Lord and investing in one another, investing in our community, and in the world at large. So those are three things that I would like to work on. Outreach, missions, and children's ministry. It's ambitious. How do we do all this? I think we do it together. That's the key. There was a pastor, and he was um, struggling to fund a building project. And every week, he would get up, and he would talk about this building project, trying to encourage the people to give and support this ministry. And he, he had the little thermometer, you know, with the, the little mercury, and the mercury never seemed to rise. It was always stuck in the same place. And one Sunday, he gets up in front of the church, and he says, I've got some great news and some bad news concerning the building project. He said, the great news is this. We have all the finances we need to complete our building project. So the bad news is it's still in your wallets. And the same principle applies. We have all the talent and all the resources and all the manpower we need right here in this room right now to accomplish everything that I just talked about, easily. But the bad news is all that manpower and talent and ability, it's sitting in your easy chair at home watching American Idol. 
not doing the work of the ministry. As a church, we're blessed. We have the resources. We just need to get after it together. And it starts with us as individuals. Us being the individuals the Lord wants us to be. You know, New Year's, January 1st, 2020 is three days away. And you know, people, people like New Year's. They like this idea of a fresh start. They like this idea that they're going to get a second chance. Right? And people come up with all kinds of New Year's resolutions, don't they? I'm going to get organized. I'm going to spend less and save more. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to start living a healthy lifestyle. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to help others. I'm going to fall in love. I'm going to spend more time with my family and friends. Right? The list goes on and on and on. And I think that people instinctively, innately know that, that we're broken, that we need fixing, that there's something is wrong, something is, is missing in our lives. And I think that's why... As a people, we're drawn to this idea of New Year's and a fresh start and New Year's resolutions. And it's a funny thing. Anybody who works out, you know this. You go to the gym on January 1st, and it's packed. Right? You can't find any equipment to use. There's a line for the treadmill. Everyone has on brand new Nikes and hot pants. By Valentine's Day... It's the same old normal people working out at the gym again, right? People lose that enthusiasm, don't they? You know what the problem is for most of us? The problem is I'm still me, right? I'm still the same person tomorrow that I was yesterday. I'm still me and you're still you. And I'm most likely going to continue to be me. And you're probably going to continue to be you. In 2020... I'm probably going to still drink Coke. I'm probably going to eat too much ice cream. I'm probably going to stay up too late with my wife watching reruns of The Office. Right? It's sort of human nature. Oscar Wilde said this. Good resolutions are simply checks that men write on a bank where they have no account. Good resolutions are simply checks that men draw on a bank where they have no account. We want change. We want something new. We want to improve ourselves. But we just can't do it. And sure, some people do manage to affect a, a degree of change, right? Some people manage to lose weight and keep it off. Some people quit smoking or whatever. But we can't fix what is truly broken in our lives. And I think we're all desperate for real, meaningful, substantial change. And the trouble is, in and of ourselves, we can't achieve that. And so we settle for little changes. So we feel like we're doing something at least. Right? I, can't, I can't break free of my addictions, but I lost six pounds at least. You know, it's like, it's like having leprosy. Right? Your fingers are falling off. Your nose is falling off. You're being nibbled on by rats while you sleep. So you go out and buy a box of SpongeBob Band-Aids. Well, you might feel like you're doing something. There might be some results that you can see. 
But that isn't really very helpful in the end, is it? It doesn't really solve the problem. And so often that's what we do. We try to slap a, a Band-Aid on our problems, and all it's doing is covering things up. It isn't getting to the heart of the problem. See, we need the Lord for that. Benjamin Franklin said this, Be at war with your vices, be at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. I mean, that's stellar advice, isn't it? Be at war with your vices, that's great. Be at peace with your neighbors, that's great. Become a better person. Right, that's great advice. Sadly, it's not really attainable. The trouble is, we can't become better men. Right, that's the bad news. We're broken, we're messed up, we're hopeless, we're helpless, we're lost. We see these issues in our lives, but we, 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 we lack the power to change them. And some of us have, have deep issues. Some of us have deep, dark things that we're ashamed of, things that we're in bondage to. Some things that we, that we desperately want to change, but we lack the ability and power to change. Some of us are, are, are secret al alcoholics or, or secret drug users or, or addicted to pornography or in secret relationships or you have secret sexual desires or you're trapped in lies and, and you find yourself digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole that you're in. And maybe some of you aren't so desperate, but you're just dry, feeling like there's nothing there spiritually. Like there's no relationship with the Lord. And you start to wonder if you're really saved. You start to think, well, maybe I lost my salvation if, if that were possible. And you want to change and you've tried to change. You want to break free. And, and maybe you start to change and, and you repent and, you're, and your heart is, is broken before the Lord. Only to fall back into that same sin again. And so you look towards New Year and you, and you think of having a fresh start and you desperately want that fresh start because you failed so many times in the past and, and we don't even know if we have the strength to continue and try again. We get so tired of, of falling and failing and feeling ashamed before the Lord and so we make resolutions. Where can we find the power to keep our resolutions? Because we lack the power in and of ourselves to break free from sin and death. Right? There's good news, though. And we celebrated it a week ago, last Sunday. We talked about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Redeemer, the one who is mighty to save, the one who can save us from our, from our lostness and our brokenness. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's talking about, about struggling with sin and about struggling with, with breaking free from their past, breaking free from their, their failures and their mistakes. And he writes and he tells them this in, in, in his second epistle to, to the Corinthians in chapter 5. In verse 17 he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I hope you see that. The old man can never break free. That old nature is corrupt and it's broken and it's desperate. But in Christ, we're new creations. 
and we have a new nature. And we have the Holy Spirit of the living God abiding in us, giving us the strength to overcome sin. And Jesus used a different term. He spoke of, of being born again, of a rebirth, not like reincarnation, not coming again and again and again until you reach perfection and enter into nirvana. But he says that there's a, a physical birth that everyone goes through. Then there's a spiritual birth. There's a second birth that has to take place. And he says in John chapter 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The only way to see the kingdom of God, the only path to heaven, is to be born again, to be spiritually reborn, to become a new creation in Christ. And Paul goes on in verse 18, and he says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then in verse 21, he, he, he writes that verse that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you, do you get what Paul's saying here in this passage? Right, we see this word, Keep popping up over and over again. Five times we see it here in this passage. Reconciliation. To reconcile. To be reconciled. And that word reconciliation, it's an accounting term. It means to adjust from a difference. The restoration of favor. And I like that idea, the adjustment of a difference. See, there is a difference in the righteousness that God requires and the righteousness that we possess, right? There's a, there's a deficit there. There's a shortfall on our behalf. We don't measure up to his standard. But the Lord, he adjusts that difference through his son. Through Jesus Christ, we were reconciled. We were restored to favor with the Lord. And I love that idea. Reconciliation. Adjusting the difference. See, God is a God who loves to give second chances. He's a God who loves to forgive, who's rich, who, who abounds in mercy. And we mess up, we fail, we fall down, but he's always there to pick us back up, to set us on our feet, and to help us start walking forward again. That's the God whom we serve. That's the God who loved you so much that he died in your place so that you can be reconciled to him. And look what he says in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He did that so that we could have peace with God. And I want you to understand that. 
God loves us so much that he died in our place to forgive our failings and our mistakes so that we can have a relationship with him. That's the beauty of the gospel message. And so this morning, if you've never been reconciled to God, if you've never made peace with God, if you've never had your account adjusted through Christ, if you've never repented and and said you're sorry for sinning against him, let me say what Paul says here in verse 21. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says we implore you. That means to beg. Some of your older translations say to beseech. Paul uses that phrase in other places. He says, we beseech you by the mercies of God to be reconciled. We beseech you by the mercies of God to make peace with the Lord your God. G.K. Chesterton said this, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul. And I like that idea. need but ask him to enter into our lives and to forgive us of our sins and to make us a new creation. And for the rest of us, for those of us who, who, who have been reconciled to God, Paul says you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. He says that he has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. And so I hope you see that. Those of you guys who are walking with the Lord, those of you guys who are right with the Lord, we have been given a holy calling. We have been given a heavenly calling. Paul says our job, our ministry, is to tell others how they can find peace with God. The ministry of reconciliation. And so I want to encourage you guys, let this be your year. Let this be the year that you fulfill your ministry, that you become a peacemaker, that you help people to find peace with God. And I encourage you as we we talk about the things that we want to do in the coming year, find your place, get involved, serve God, love people, and the Lord will use you in amazing in magnificent and wonderful ways. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, first of all, that you that you reconciled us to yourself. That you saved us, Lord. That you forgave us of our sins. And we're grateful and we're humbled that you've given us this ministry of reconciliation, Lord, that you've entrusted us with the gospel. And you've called us to share it with those around us. And so I pray for us as a church body, Lord, you would help us to be faithful to that calling by which we've been called. Help us to become the men and women that you desire us to be. And Father, we lift up anyone here who's never been reconciled to you, who doesn't know you yet, Lord. That you would move in their hearts, that you would convict them of their sin, and that you would draw them to you, Father. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we continue in worship, if anybody needs prayer, I'll be available on the side.